Becol kali. Hey y'all, what's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. what things are to me. How does one answer a question like that directly? Yolagali is ice cream at home after a really hot day. Yolagali is where you find your friends after being alone all day. Yolagali is every crazy idea in your head being brought to life before your eyes. Yolagali is colors and vibrance and doodling and butts and sparkles and dreams. This is a place where you become one with art and find yourself in the process. Yolokali is the coolest virtual space ever. Yolokali is a second home. Can you imagine a life without Yolokali? Pure boringness! Most college students in the U.S. stress about college. But what do they stress about? They stress over the F word. No, not that F word. But the word finances. Finances in their school. Tuition. Ugh, it's like the government's not trying to help. Why can't they help students like me? Because of my legal status in the U.S., I don't qualify for financial aid. I've also applied to many private scholarships. But it's hard for me to be awarded these scholarships because I'm competing against millions of students across the U.S. who also need financial support. I for sure don't want to take out a loan. 
I'll be in debt forever. College tuition is way too expensive. How am I going to finish school to support and pursue my passion and give back to my community? I mean, I'm a good citizen. I pay hella taxes. I have a 3.3 GPA. I have a clean record. And on top of all that, I create art for myself and the community. Businessinsider.com says that the debt that students face in America has reached $1 trillion. The average cost of a private university is more than $24,000. The medium income for students is about $28,000. One can barely pay off school. How is the average student supposed to survive? I, no, I mean we, we the students have expenses too. Like many other Latin teens in the world, I grew up watching telenovelas with my parents. After a while though, I started analyzing them and I noticed a pattern. Poor girl falls in love with a mean rich man, then they go through a lot of drama, and finally they have their happily ever after. The end. About as fun as it is to watch these novelas, they are realistic. Do people who watch them expect to have their happily ever after? Do they expect to meet their soulmate and have all their dreams come true? And what of the expectations and stereotypes shown? Let's start with the female lead. They are always poor, sweet, kind, pure, and very forgiving. She is just perfect, right? The trusting and forgiving nature and her inability to be able to live without the man she loves. But let's be honest, nobody is perfect. Everyone has flaws, so why do these producers insist in making the female lead their version of perfection? Then there's the other female lead, the antagonist. <laughs> she is an ambitious, strong, determined woman who wants nothing more than to be with the male lead because of his money. But why does such a strong woman have to want the man's money? If she is so strong and independent, why can't she work for her own? And why does her ambition and determination automatically make her evil? Can she be strong, ambitious, and kind? And why can't she be seen as good? Why can't a woman only be one thing or another? Why can't she be a little of both? Now on to the male. The strong, handsome, arrogant, wealthy man who at first sees the female lead as being beneath him. He is initially awful towards her, which obviously doesn't keep her from loving him. Though he claims to love her, the man often cheats or abuses her. Yet, he is always forgiven. But why does the woman want to be with a man like this? Why does she insist on being in a toxic relationship? Why can't she choose the man who is kind and faithful? 
What does this say about women in general and about men? Do these novellas give a bad impression of how men and women should act? Do they give teens a bad impression of what love is? Do they misrepresent both love and life? Do you watch telenovelas? Yes, I watch telenovelas. Which type? Uh, I usually watch the new novellas. Like right now, I'm watching a new novella called Yo no creo en los hombres. Are they part of your daily life? Um, well, recently, yes, it became part of my life. I actually would watch novellas before, like old novellas with my mom, like since I was really young. And I kind of stopped watching them for a good three years. And I really got back into it right now. And I've been watching all the episodes and I've been trying to keep up. But right now, yeah, it's, it's a part of my life and it's very exciting yet very dramatic. But yeah. Do you think they help make you who you are? Honestly, I don't think they help make me who I am, but I mean, it's just something to watch, you know, and something to keep you interested. Um, I guess it, maybe it does like impact me maybe a little bit because then, you know, you kind of compare it to like real life and you're like, oh yeah, this is true or yeah, no, this is not true. But I don't think it's something like significant. Do you think they misrepresent you and your culture? Um, I think yes, maybe it might misrepresent us. But then again, some of the things that happen in novelas do, do happen in real life. Maybe not to the extent that they show on the, in the novelas. But um, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like we're not all about love and cheating like they are on there. Like that's basically all novelas are. Like, oh, the girl falls in love with the guy. He's always rich and she's always poor. And, you know, like it's not always like that, you know. For once, why can't it be like a girl that's rich and the guy that's poor, you know? Or why can't they both be rich or both be poor? Like, make a novella about that, and it's never about that. So, yeah, we're misrepresented sometimes. <laughs> and does it misrepresent life and love? Oh, yes, 100%. Like, the way they show it on there, it's <laughs> they make it seem like, oh, it's, it's love at first sight. And like, once I see him, oh, I'm so in love with him, and that's all I want. And it's always a girl who is so naive and like, it's always looking for help from a guy and honestly I mean that's not the way I am I know that's not the way some girls are um, so uh, yeah it is misrepresented and sometimes like if a little girl like me who watched at a very young age they might see that and think oh like is that gonna happen to me when I'm older you know so yeah it, rem it misrepresents love as children we grew up dreaming of a happily ever after but as teens we're able to realize unrealistic this is there will always be struggles and obstacles for us to overcome. But it shouldn't stop us from trying to find happiness. It shouldn't keep us from dreaming and fighting for better things and a better life. So always remember to enjoy the little things in life. The time spent watching novelas with your family. The laughs shared as the antagonist loses in the end. And the small and amusing arguments over the control.
When bringing up the topic of pets, a wave of emotions comes over people. The excitement of being able to talk about your pet, getting one, receiving or giving advice, or even the sadness over the loss of a pet, or the mistreatment of animals everywhere. When specifically talking about pets, people usually talk about cats and dogs, but we don't really hear about parrots. Parrots are the third most popular pet in the United States, yet not much light is shown on them. We don't hear as much about the proper care of parrots, or the abuse they go through, or what to do when you feel like you can no longer provide a good home for a parrot. Unfortunately, many people believe that they can get a parrot, keep it in its cage, feed it sunflower seeds, and it will start talking to them. That is not the case. Parrots are very complex creatures, and without the proper care, they can live a very miserable life. I became interested in parrots when I was a kid. I grew up in a household with a parrot named Susie, who was older than me. I'm 19, so Susie's probably in her early to mid-20s, and I'm still fascinated by her. She doesn't have a very big vocabulary, although according to my mother, she did once, when she was very young. The way Susie came into our family was through my uncle. He used to live with us, and one day he just brought home a parrot. However, after having some issues with family and his own life, he ended up moving out, and Susie was left with us. Susie's a blue-fronted Amazon, and being that there are many different kinds of parrots, each different kind requires its own special care. Parrots, unlike many dogs or cats, aren't always the best family pet. They tend to choose one person and will only be interested in that single person. However, that is not always the case. Not all parrots are the same, and there are many who are very open and eager to interact with multiple humans. Nonetheless, for those parrots that do choose a single person, may even become jealous of another human interacting with their human, which can result in aggression towards others, especially if that human has a mate. Sadly, this is the kind of behavior that isn't tolerated and causes a lot of parrots to lose their home. Luckily for both Susie and I, I am her chosen human within the household and I love spending time with her. Whenever I get my check, you can bet that a good chunk of it goes towards her, whether it's food, toys, purchase, or anything that I see and feel like she needs, I will probably end up buying. And this summer, I made it a goal to build her a PVC playstand. If you're not exactly sure what I'm talking about, take a minute and Google it. If you're a parrot owner, maybe it's something you want to consider doing. It's not as expensive as buying a playstand from the store, and you get to design it to your liking, which is beneficial since only you know your parrot best. However, regardless of whether you're an experienced or new pet owner, I would never discourage researching any questions that you have, especially with having the internet literally a push of a button away. But as they say, don't believe everything you see in the internet and be careful with your sources. I'm always searching any questions I have and would recommend the following sites for more reliable information about parrots. www.birdtricks.com www.birdchannel.com www.lefaber.com Hey you, do you want to get smarter? This is the word of the day. The word of the day today is acquired generalized lipodystrophy, or better known as just lipodystrophy, to play it simple. Huh? 
to not make it so complicated. Lipodystrophy is when your body loses the proper way to store fat in the abdomen, so excess fat circulating through the bloodstream ends up accumulating in the liver. Oh. Do you feel smart or smarter now? Yeah! This was the word of the day. Have you ever spent a lot of money on a pair of shoes? Well, guess what? I have. I remember like it happened yesterday. It was around December 2012. My family and I were walking around the mall for last minute Christmas shopping. My mom realized that I needed new shoes since the ones I had were ripped and dirty. Besides that, there were low top shoes which aren't a good combination for winter. Walking by, we saw a table outside a store with just combat boots. Their brand was called Doc Martens. As soon as I approached to take a closer look, because they seemed winter material, I instantly fell in love with that brand. They looked so odd and outstanding. The ones that I fell in love with were the pair of combat boots, all leather black, with an inside of a floral print. They were the kind of boots that I wouldn't ever see at my school. So I tried to convince my mom to buy me those Doc Martens boots, so I did. She ended up buying me the first pair of Doc Martens. But when I saw how much she actually paid for a pair of boots, I felt so guilty. $300. I've never seen such expensive shoes, so I did some research about them. And I found out that people, mostly punks, skinheads, scoffs, hardcore, started to use the Doc Martens to overcome the hippies. Doc Martens are used on unique individuals who want to express rebellious free thinking and are just different. Also, what makes Doc Martens pricey is that they are made of PVC to last long. So, of course, I did end up wearing them with all my outfits. They will match with anything I would normally wear. But don't you think my dress... Yes, it's lovely, dear. Lo good heavens, child. You can't go in that. For instance, my favorite red skinny jeans and a bad merch shirt. Everyone would think I would be an ordinary girl with a reputation. And of course, it's the opposite. I'm not a troublemaker. I'm a bright person. I enjoy dressing in dark colors, making people think I'm a naive person. Today marks four years with my Doc Martens, the longest relationship I ever had with a shoe brand. I still own my Doc Martens leather boots. But not only that, I own three pairs which are two combat boots and one high top shoes. But trust me, the other two pairs weren't as expensive as my first pair. Do you still have or currently use your first pair of shoes that you might have spent a lot of money? Or how much have you spent on a shoe brand that you've never heard of? You keep saying you got something for me. Something you call love. But confess, you've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin'. And now someone else is getting all your best. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. Ooh, I want a sip of that. What's up?
Where am I? What is this place? It's so dark in here. Maybe I should try to get out. Now, everything is brighter, but not as bright as I thought it would be. I still don't know where I am. It smells horrible in here. What's that smell? I want to walk, or at least stand up, but my legs are too weak. I've been looking around, and I notice others like me, trying to walk as well, but unable to. One of them is crawling towards me. He told me his name, which is Max, and he asked me for my name, but I don't have one. And it makes me think, should I be called something? Where am I? I stopped thinking about that when Max pointed his wing to my right. Everyone knows stares in the same direction. Are we in a cage? But why are we here? Who put us here? Watch out! Someone's coming! Wait! Why are you holding me? Let me go! Hmm. What was that for? I look outside the cage and see others like us. But some are a little bit old, and others are even older than the old ones. They look sick and sad for some reason. I can still see them. Someone's getting the older ones out of their cage. They're taking them. But where? Everyone in my cage starts wondering the same thing. The ones across our cage are telling us that they're being moved to a different cage. Others say that some terrible stuff is going to happen to them. I'm skeptical. I don't know what to think. I'm so confused. Wait, what's that? Max is standing on his legs. What if I try to do the same thing? I did it, I'm walking. I start walking around, but there's not much to travel. Our cage is too small. No, what? What are these little balls? They smell good. Whoa, they're delicious. Is this what they call food? It's really good. I love food now. Max and I have been really good friends since we met. We always talk about the outside world. Always like outside the cages, those giants and stuff like that. I just enjoy talking to him about this. I could talk to the others as well, but they don't have the same curiosity. <sighs> Anyways, I've realized that there's a routine every day. The giants feed us, check the cages, and take the other ones out of theirs. It's the same thing every single day. I wonder what's the real destination. I feel so jealous. I wish Max and I could go with them. I want to know how it's out there so bad. It's been a while since everything started. I've been living the same routine every single day. Get fed, being checked by the giants, and the older ones being taken out of their cages. There hasn't been any different day. I mean, I don't really care anymore. 
I'm used to it already. Plus, Max is with me. He's the one who makes everything interesting. He's like my brother, always being there for me when the others make fun of me. But he has been acting a little bit weird lately. He doesn't talk as much as before and don't eat at all. I think he's sick. He tells me that he'll be fine. That is just a small cold. I hope it is. I'm worried. He looks worse every day. Max looks really sick. What can I do? I really want to help him, but I just don't know how. He's shaking so badly. He's cold. I'm laying next to him. Try to cuddle to keep him warm. He can barely talk. Suddenly, he falls asleep. So do I. Huh? What now? I try to wake up Max, but he's not responding. Wake up! Wake up! Nothing. He must be really tired because it seems that he wouldn't wake up easily. The giants are reaching to him. No! Leave him alone! Where are you taking him? I hear them talk, but I'm unable to understand what they're saying. The others are telling me not to worry. They say that he's going to be in a better place. I don't understand. Where is that better place? Wait, I get it now. They took Max to cure him. Yes, that's it. Since he's really sick, the giants noticed it and decided to help him. Suddenly, I'm really, really happy about it. Max is going to be fine after all. He also has made it outside cage. Isn't that awesome? I'll be waiting patiently so I can ask him how's the outside world. I'm so excited. It's been so long. I haven't bring Max back. I wonder if he's doing okay. His sickness must have been really bad since they're taking so much time to cure him. I just hope he comes back soon. I really miss him. He's my only friend, and it's so boring without him. I just wish he was here right now. Huh? Feeding time? <gasps> Wait. They're taking us outside the cage. Could be that... Yes! I'm finally going to see the outside world! I can't believe this is actually happening! I wish Max was here. Wait. But what is he out there waiting for us? Oh my god, I'm so excited! I wonder where we're going first. Hmm. What is the metal thing? It's huge. Wait, I think... Whoa! Yes, I knew it. We're inside the machine now. It is transporting us somewhere. Our destination is unknown. I turn to my right and notice that one of the others is looking at me. But I've never seen him before. I get closer to see him better. But for my surprise, he does the same thing. I take a step to the side and once again, he does it too. Is he making fun of me? Wait. I'm looking at myself. It's my reflection in that metal wall. <sighs> I look like the others that have been taken before. Sick. Sad. Miserable. I can't stand looking at myself. I can't believe that's actually me. Huh? I see something at the end of the machine. It seems that it has an ending. 
Suddenly, everyone starts panicking. What's going on? Why are they so scared? And then it hit me. I see that at the end, there are some type of sharp saws that will cut everything in their way into a million pieces. Before being taken here, I didn't know what was my purpose in this world, what I was, and why I'm here. But now, I understand everything. It is clear to me that this is my destiny as a chicken. Girl, what's us been doing their thing? For sure. ASMR, politics, youth empowerment. Right? So stay tuned for What's Up's 100th show. I had a rabbit when I was just six years old. It was so adorable, fun-loving, the cutest, happy, jumpy rabbit you could ever meet. I always remember back in the summer. I would go outside and play with my dog and rabbit. I remember the day where I brought my soccer ball and I accidentally kicked it towards my pet rabbit. That was the magical moment when I saw my pet rabbit playing soccer. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Then I remembered, another day, I went to do errands with my mom. Let's go. We left my pet rabbit outside. You're wondering why? Well, my grandma was at home, and she's supposed to take care of the rabbit, but... Get over here! It was hard to handle. That might have answered your question. Oh my god. Okay. Back to the story. Me and my mom came home and I heard the most heartbreaking news ever. My pet rabbit was killed. It was shot six times. Five shots in the body, one in the head. I went outside and saw the blood on the grass. I began to cry. Till that day, I never had another pet rabbit. Teenagers have about four years to discover their whole life goal. Or at least that's how it feels. My name is Gabriela Saray Lara Ortega Duarte. I am a student at Benito Juarez Jr. And I enjoy to bake, I like to sing, and I really like to draw. Gabby is a young 16-year-old artist who has a great passion for art and baking. Her passion for art was given to her by her sibling. Uh, what got me into art, honestly, it had to be my brother, my elder brother. You know, when I was younger, this was around when I was 11 or 12, he used to draw a lot. He was really inspired by Marvel Comics, DC Comics, especially Stan Lee. And so basically, I would see him draw all these, what I thought at the time, really good drawings. And I just like, I wanted to do that too. I was like, well, I I do still like to bake, but eh, whatever. Drawing wouldn't be of such a bad thing, and here I am, four years later, completely in love with drawing. <laughs> but she struggles to what she wants to do. Her passion for art and baking had one to two years to be set for the future. 
I honestly do not know if I actually do want to do something with my art. Like, maybe I will. Maybe I'll do prints and stuff. Maybe I'll use it to... For pastry skills. You know, decorations and stuff. But as for now, I think I just want to get better. Maybe I'll go into animation. I'm, I'm not sure yet. My future is very blurry. I'm not really sure what I want to do with my art, but it's it's a fun thing for me. It helps me get de-stressed, and it helps me learn different things. But she is still trying her best to get her art out there. In projects such as the Pink Vow, she's currently working on with her friend. Uh, as for projects I'm working on right now, I am currently working with my best friend on this little project she has. It's about a, it's a story. Uh, it's called the Pink Void, and I'm also a voice actor for her, for a character called Strawberry, and I also uh, work for her as, well, I don't really work, but I draw for her the certain characters, and it's just this big thing we're hoping to make it successful. But as for now, it's just a little skill project that we're trying to, you know, biggin, biggin, if that's a word. Uh, as for my art, you can find it on my Tumblr blog, and I, I have a shop, so I just sell stickers and shirt designs and stuff. Even teens have a passion for something. Knowing the real dedicated ones will take you far. So are you dedicated to take your passion to the next level? Hola, somos este de Yolocalis. La primera pregunta que está, les preguntaré cómo se sienten de estar celebrando sus 30 años. Wow, pues muy buena pregunta. 30 años. Este, estamos muy contentos. La verdad, cuando empezamos nunca imaginamos llegar a 30 años después seguir haciendo música y dando de brincos en el escenario. Estamos muy agradecidos de la música, estamos muy agradecidos del arte, estamos muy agradecidos de, de la comunidad, ¿no? De lo que hemos aprendido de que realmente como el trabajo colectivo y la comunidad es lo que más nos fortalece y nos nosotros siempre desde el principio todo lo hacemos en colectividad. Yo creo que por eso hemos 30 años y seguimos aprendiendo, porque trabajar en colectividad es lo más, eh, lo más enriquecedor que hemos encontrado. Y nos sentimos muy agradecidos porque también 30 años después, cuando empezamos, todo el mundo nos decía que estábamos locos, que no, no tenía caso hacer rock en español, que cómo iba a ser rock. Y además mezclando tu música popular y hablando de problemas sociales o de tu situación, todo el mundo nos decía que eso no era hacer rock, que teníamos que cantar en inglés y copiar a los Rolling Stones, ¿no? entonces me, estoy muy agradecido porque 30 años después ese sueño loco que tuvimos ahorita ya es un movimiento gigantesco en todo México y en Latinoamérica y, y eso me confirma que la cultura y que los sueños pues hay que realizarlos aunque todo el mundo te diga que no, entonces estamos muy contentos de 30 años después seguir eh, compartiendo nuestros sueños y nuestro corazón con, con toda la gente. Si tuvieras una palabra para definir a la maldita vecindad, ¿cuál sería? Wow, y bien, como te das cuenta yo soy muy don palabras, me la paso a ver, entonces cuando me piden definir algo con una palabra me cuesta mucho trabajo, pero yo creo, hijo, no sé, bueno, podría ser, es que son dos, pero podría ser, como dicen los zapatistas, alegre rebeldía, ¿no? eso es lo que es maltravesidad, alegre rebeldía, o también podría ser una frase, en nuestros discos nos gusta siempre poner frases, ¿no? porque para nosotros un disco es como un libro, entonces eh, contamos historias, no nada más hacemos música o canciones, entonces en nuestro primer disco pusimos una frase, dos frases, una es de Fray Servando Teresa de Mier, que es un personaje muy importante en la cultura en México, eh, y él decía, 
Eh, el asunto es trágico, mi genio es festivo. Eso nos definía maldita y nos sigue definiendo, porque frente a tanta tragedia y tanta injusticia, siempre la alegría de la música y el baile y poder compartirla siempre nos da mucha esperanza y fuerza. Y otra frase es de un escritor de aquí, de, de Estados Unidos, que se llama Henry Miller, y él decía, la verdadera prueba de inteligencia es poder mantener en la cabeza dos ideas opuestas y seguir funcionando. Aceptar, por ejemplo, que las cosas no tienen solución y sin embargo seguir decidido a cambiarlas. Esa fue la otra frase que pusimos y eso creo que define totalmente la onda de Maldita Vecindad. ¿Cómo Maldita Vecindad promueve el activismo? Pues más que promoverlo, lo hacemos, ¿no? el, yo creo que el activismo, nosotros de hecho también fuimos aprendiendo porque el activismo era nada más como ideológico, político y a nosotros lo que sentimos es que el activismo por la vida, por la madre tierra, pero más que nada por la vida, entonces nosotros ya más que decir que somos activistas, nosotros decimos que somos activistas espirituales, o sea, arte, activismo y espiritualidad, porque eso es lo que necesita este momento el planeta y todas las sociedades, entonces ahí es lo que nos gusta, porque la mejor manera de transformarnos, primero para poder transformar la sociedad, primero hay que transformarnos nosotros, entonces la mejor herramienta que encontramos para transformarnos nosotros mismos fue la música y la cultura ¿no? leer, escribir, pintar hacer murales, bailar ¿no? y entonces por eso pensamos que el mejor activismo es a través del arte y de la cultura, y le pusimos activismo espiritual porque en esta sociedad en esta sociedad y con todo este sistema neoliberal capitalista lo que se ha perdido mucho es eso es la espiritualidad, ¿no? Se, se basa todo en las ganancias materiales y en el individualismo, nada más pensar en ti, ¿no? Y no pensar en la comunidad o, o ver más allá de lo material. Entonces, por eso lo espiritual, por ejemplo, en México, toda nuestra tradición cultural y de nuestras comunidades indígenas está totalmente espiritual. Me encanta celebrar el Día de Muertos en México. Todos mis amigos de otras partes del mundo no entienden, ¿no? O sea, ¿cómo no te pones triste porque se murió tu papá o tu mamá? No, pues sí estoy triste, pero también estoy seguro que su alma está conmigo siempre ¿no? y que un día al año le voy a poner la comida que más le gusta y voy a arreglar su altar y voy a poner sus fotos y todos mi familia vamos a platicar sus historias, entonces él sigue vivo ¿no? sigue vivo porque lo sueño porque lo sigo aprendiendo y esa visión espiritual es algo muy valioso ¿no? en vez de mucha gente de otras culturas que se pone muy triste cuando pierde a alguien que ama ¿no? pero en nuestra tradición sabemos que el amor no se acaba ¿no? o sea aquí del misterio venimos y al misterio regresamos, pero el amor nos sigue uniendo con, hasta con nuestros antepasados que ni conocimos, entonces eso es un poco como un ejemplo de lo que es la espiritualidad y de cómo hace tanta falta para darle sentido a la vida, darle un sentido más amoroso, más comunitario, más alegre, más justo, ¿no? más divertido, más en contacto con la naturaleza en vez de lo que estamos viviendo ahorita, sociedades totalmente aisladas, llenas de violencia, llenas de de mala alimentación, de, de distracción, de desinformación, ¿no? entonces por eso pensamos que la espiritualidad, el arte y, y el activismo, con todo sumado, es como no hay que hacerlo ni promover, digo perdón, no hay que promoverlo, hay que hacerlo, ¿no? vivirlo y salir y si tú sales a la calle y haces un dibujo bonito en, en el gris de una pared, ya estás transformando tu mundo y el, un pedacito del mundo de todos, entonces eso es un poco lo que a nosotros nos gusta y, y lo que hemos intentado hacer todos estos 30 años. Por último, si a uh, Malita Vecindad fuera una comida, ¿cuál sería? <risa> Excelente, no sé, esa está muy buena. Bueno, te voy a decir varias, voy a veces medio parlanchín. Mira, podría ser unos chapulines con ajo, como los que se comen en México. ¿Por qué? Porque es una solución 
antiquísima, milenaria, pero al mismo tiempo muy actual, porque los chapulines tienen la misma carga proteínica que la carne. Entonces ahorita el, la industria de la carne es la que está destruyendo todo el planeta, todo el planeta. La industria de la carne está contaminando más que todos los carros humados. Está además siendo una industria totalmente salvaje contra los animales, que son nuestros hermanos. Entonces me parece chido eso de comer chapulines porque los chapulines son chiquitos, nunca se van a acabar y con un frasquito de chapulines que te comas, que eso ya lo sabían nuestros ancestros, tienes toda la proteína como si comías un bistec, entonces dejamos en paz a las vacas y a todos los, lo que les están haciendo a los animales. También si fuera una comida también seríamos el mole, porque el mole está hecho como de 60 o más ingredientes y además ingredientes que vinieron de, de Europa y de la cultura árabe, porque nosotros también retomamos mucho eso, que ahorita es el tiempo de los hombres de maíz, por eso nos da mucha tristeza, tanta ignorancia de Donald Trump o de estas gentes tan racistas, que no saben ni de historia ni de nada porque no se dan cuenta que todas las sociedades estamos interconectadas. Por ejemplo, en México somos una cultura mestiza porque desde hace 500 años tenemos nuestra raíz indígena, que son muchas, tenemos la presencia de África en, en México, porque también tenemos de África y también tenemos de lo árabe, ¿no? que vino a, a través de España. Entonces, si fuéramos una comida, seríamos una comida mestiza, ¿no? como es el mole, ¿no? de, de, con muchos ingredientes de todos lados que combinados te dan un sabor único. Eso sería maldita vecina. Maybe something you can see will help. Yes, me and your brother are going to plant a tree tomorrow. We can even put his ashes in the soil, so it's like he's part of the tree. My mother Monica said. She was talking about my father, who's now lying dead on our floor. I hadn't been there when they shot him, but seeing him now was like I already had. I'm seven and I can already tell that my life ahead of me isn't as I imagined it. Mom wouldn't tell me what's happening, but everyone around us is dying. People with black clothing and odd voices come around our neighborhood and take people. A lot of people on our street is gone. But dad hit us in our house good. They killed him because we made a sound and he came out and pretended like he lived alone. Year 2034. It's been four years since the invasion. I know a little bit more now. The people attacking us are called United Korea. The two countries came together and they want US to be one of their colonies. They send us secret messages through the abandoned sewer tunnels that run under our street. The Koreans haven't discovered it yet. Dad's tree is outside our house and it's grown into a beautiful willow. Every time I look at it, I pray that they'll announce that this is all over. Year 2038. Mom died yesterday night. It was the worst day I've ever faced. Since I'm 15, I help my brother with mom. It's not warm when she's away. We put her ashes in the soil of Dad's willow. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. She's always gone too long. Anytime she goes away. Something needs to change or my brother will be next. 
then me. Before mom died, she told my brother that this is all happening because we got vulnerable. No budgets, plummeting stock markets. Everything started going downwards until we hit rock bottom. No one can change what happened, and I can't change what's going to come. All we can do was hope and pray and cry that we're not in this house watching this country crumble until we die. Did you hear that? ¿Lo escuchaste? That sound is from a widow. A widow is one of the most important instruments sound in cumbia. Why? Well, yeah, I grew up listening to cumbia all my life. I remember my tias dancing all night to the sounds of group like Los Angeles Azules, Blasenola Tropical, and many more. Dancing with my tias was cool. They used to tell me that I was a good dancer and every time I was enjoying my family reunions. Growing up with cumbia has always been part of my life. Cumbia has always been present. There was a time I almost became part of a cumbia event and guess what instrument I was gonna play? The widow. Cumbia was brought to Mexico by collectors of Colombian records, who bought their records in Texas only for parties and special events. One of my favorite groups is Los Angeles Azules. They play cumbia vallenata, and I really like their songs. They remind me of a special moments in my life with my family. Then I moved to Chicago with my dad, and the change of lifestyle was a big impact for me. Fortunately, I live in a Latino neighborhood called Pilsen, where music and traditions are still preserved, and there is now a cumbia music movement. And thanks to that, I feel finally at home. It was a cold night. I've always liked cold nights, but not this one. The cold fury wind, the leaves falling to the floor, crumbling and dying. I walked into the room, the music pounding loud, the dance floor packed. When people took a first look at me, they stared. A stampede of staring eyes seemed to follow my every step. I wore a maroon dressing shirt and black dressing pants. I tucked my hair under my black hat, my bangs I pushed to my side. It made my hair appear much shorter. I suppose that's what drew the attention. I didn't mind them. I thought I looked nice, handsome. Yet my image still seemed to concern people. Especially my mother, of course. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> that woman is tough, I'll tell you that. Sometimes too tough. 
I didn't mind. I could normally take her hits. However, that night, things completely crossed the line. James was there. He was about to say hi, but my clothes were a tad bit too scandalizing that he forced himself to turn around <laughs> to think I liked the bastard. My cousin, <laughs> the queen of the party, it was her birthday after all, started ranting about how I was supposed to wear the maroon dress and put my hair in a bun along with the glossy silver hairpin she had given me the other day. I told her I never agreed to that. What? She threw a tantrum, screaming and whining, Get her face turning bright red. That's when our moms approached us. My aunt was obviously upset, but my mom, <laughs> she was at a whole other level of pissed. She dragged me outside to talk to me alone, and the first thing she asked was why I was dressed like that. I didn't say anything at first, which got her even more mad, so I told her the first thing that popped into my mind. At least my shirt's maroon, I said. She stared blankly for a moment, then the palm of her hand struck my face, hard. She drove me home after that. She told me to lock myself in my room and not come out, not even for dinner. I didn't listen. I chased after her before she could leave. I didn't want her to leave angry. I attempted to grab her hand. She snatched it away immediately and pointed her finger to me. Don't you ever pull this little game of yours again. I took a step back. This isn't a game, I replied. It never was. <laughs> oh, really? She asked with a malicious grin. She snatched my hat off, and my long, wavy hair fell to my shoulders. She pulled it. Look at this. Look at your hair. Ow, stop that. Stop, please. <laughs> I tried to remove her hand. She pulled harder. You You're a girl. You are a girl. Your hair, it's long. Your body, it's a girl's body. Your voice is a girl's voice. Snap out of it, Elizabeth. Elias, I corrected with a shaky but clear tone in my voice. It's Elias. She let go of my hair and threw me to the floor, started kicking me in the ribs nonstop, over and over and over. You're hurting me, I cried, tears running down my face. You're not such a man now, are you? She teased and gave one final kick that ended up hitting my nose. I then heard my own nose crack. Enough, she yelled. She slammed the door and left. I didn't dare to open my eyes until I heard her car drive away. When I opened them, the first thing I saw was a pile of blood next to me. I raced to the bathroom and covered my nose with a messy stack of wipes and squeezed hard to stop the bleeding. After I was done, I walked to my room. It was freezing. I had forgotten to close my window earlier. I changed into some warm clothes, threw the bloody ones in a trash bag, and I began packing. As I did, a rush of thoughts raced through my head, but not one that could convince me to stop from making the decision that I was about to make. I wondered what it would be like to be able to dress how I wanted and not be judged for the solid reason of what my gender is. I wondered what it would be like to not feel the torture of menstruation every single month, not to be stared down behind the doors of the school locker rooms, bombarded with questions about why I don't shave every day like a normal girl should, about why I don't use makeup, or why I never wear dresses to parties, and why skirts aren't my thing. I was tired of all this nonsense. This was never an issue about my sexual orientation. 
sexual orientation and gender identity are two separate different things. Yet nobody understands. I walked out the door, locked it, and headed to the bus stop. This was going to be a new beginning, no matter what. I didn't know where I was going. I just knew this was not the place for me. I tried my best to explain to people what was happening to me. I've tried so many times. They never listened. She never listened. So now, it was time to be the bigger person. It was a cold night. I've always liked cold nights, but not this one. In a world where pizza eats no more. What? There's no pizza? Oh my goodness. Will people be able to survive? We're all gonna freaking die, man. Can you guys be quiet? I'm trying to wish La Rosa de Guadalupe. There's no pizza. Why aren't you panicking? <gasps> There's no more pizza. We're screwed. No. no. The pizza is gone. Why? Hey, that's the last slice. Give me that. Hey, back up! Well, there, chill, guys. Jesus Christ. Wait. What about tacos? Oh, yeah. The end of the pizza. Rated R. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I do it again? Hello, we are Yola Kali. What's up? What is cool for you? What makes you cool? For me, cool is not giving as such. Cool is freedom. The fact that you can be yourself and express yourself without any restrictions. You can walk or run wherever and whenever. I express this freedom through my sneakers. We all have that one pair of kicks that truly represent more than the price paid, but for the value it carries. Shoes have been here throughout our baby steps and are still taking us forward. My van, for example, have skated more than miles but still carry me to my adventure. Who says you need to be a skater to wear vans? Do you necessarily need to hoop if you wear basketball shoes? Are you a cop if you wear combat boots? I don't think so. See, I'm just a regular person and don't fit in with the categories based on what shoes have on people. I wear what I want based on what I like and how I feel. I go where the wind blows and where my shoe takes me. Each and every one of my shoes tells a story and it symbolizes part of my freedom. Disregarding what type of shoes they are and what trend is set by them. When you feel cool, do you feel free? When you feel free, do you feel cool? These are some questions that I think are important to ask oneself. I wrote this poem based on what I have talked about and my representation of what freedom is, and it's called Maybe. I carry on with weight as I carry on by the days. I smell fear with being buried on today. My muscles ache and my feet are cold. Among the hustle, I remain being what's been told. Am I what I say I am, or am I a lie trying to face the facts? I sleep, I dream, repeat. I dream, I sleep, then repeat. I wake up with my outfit on, feeling orange off the wall, feeling porn, going through withdrawals. I step to the direction where the early morning ended it all. Look right through my shoes and tell me what it really solves.
kind, thoughtful, wise, open-minded, reflective, funny, caring, humble. My name is Jessica, but that doesn't really matter because the story isn't about me, but rather about my uncle Carlos and how he has influenced me to be the person that I am today. The person I trust the most is the person trusted the least in the eyes of the United States. I know him as my uncle Carlos, but the government knows him as another inmate locked up in a correction center that's six hours away from Chicago. I don't remember him before he was locked up because he was arrested at the age of 16 and I was only a couple months old. Most kids grow up looking up to a celebrity or family member that is physically present in their lives. Well, not me. My role model at one point lived on 26th in California, up until he was transferred. He didn't hang out with the best people, this being one of his biggest and most influential moments in his life, because this led to him quitting class, drinking underage, and ending up in jail. My uncle's crime had something to do with murder and attempted robbery. The truth is, he was just a kid at the wrong place at the wrong time. On the day of his arrest, he was hanging out with the wrong kids, and that's when they decided to rob an elderly woman, because she was said to have valuables. My uncle was told to wait at my grandparents' house with the garage door open. Eventually, my grandpa realized what was going on and told my uncle to go inside. He wouldn't be able to go outside. My uncle obeyed the rules until my grandpa got distracted enough for him to sneak out and meet up with his friends at the elderly woman's house. When Carlos got to the house, he walked in because the door was open and found himself inside with the body that wasn't alive. As he panicked because he couldn't find his friends, he left his prints all throughout the house on his way in and because he didn't know that killing someone would be part of the plan in the robbery. As he stood there in panic, he heard the sound of distant sirens coming closer and closer to the house. Within a couple hours, Carlos was in an interrogation room being questioned. His friends were nowhere to be found. My grandmother was crying and my grandpa was confused on what he had done wrong. And this was the start of a case that would go on for more than 17 years. My uncle is the most inspiring person that I've ever met. He has taught me throughout his experiences how important second chances are, the value that real friends hold, and the power of being humble to one another. I've become more open-minded with the help of my uncle and how you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. All these lessons throughout my life has helped me become the person I am today by focusing on school and making friends out of people that I wouldn't really talk to in the first place. And I thank him for that. Hey, yo, sis, this show is already popping. You know it, only the freshest audio pieces made entirely by youth at Yolokali. Girl, where? You're listening to it, silly? WhatsApp's 100 show on 105.5 FM Lumpin' Radio. Zazu, Zazu, Zazu. Imagination. Zazu means imagination in Japanese. Imagination is the ability to form pictures or ideas of new and exciting things in your mind, or even to wander off into cool and amazing places you thought of.
I like to live in my own little world. Yes, my own little world. Are you wondering how it is? Well, let's start from the beginning. A few years back, my cousin got this awesome fighting style game called Naruto. Naruto is an anime. The game was about him finding other characters in the show. We played this game until the end. And that means it took us about a week to finish it. And that was my first approach to anime. I didn't know what it was. I was amazed at the animation characters. Naruto took my breath away. A blonde-haired boy who wears a ton of orange, who is housing this demon inside him, and has dreams of becoming a Hokage, a chief in his ninja village, along with his adventures. Slightly, anime catch my attention, but not all that much for a 9 or 10 year old me, forgetting all about it after that week. Couple of months later, that same cousin showed me another anime called Sergeant Frog. An alien frog that came along with his comrades, or friends, wanting to take over Earth. Well, not really. Hashtag spoiler alert. He kind of fell in love with the Earth as much as I did with him after the first episode. Sergeant Frog was my first favorite anime. With him, I started to imagine myself as part of the story. Yes. Me as an anime character. Many times, I caught myself mentally wandering off. I didn't realize that was only the beginning of what was to come. My search through the sea of the internet was difficult and different. I did find fan-written stories that included you, the reader, into whatever world you wanted to jump into. I became unstoppable. I merged myself beyond Sergeant Frog after reading a couple of interesting stories. I got into different genres of animes, like sci-fi, action-based, and scary horror too. But my absolute favorite ended up to be magical and fantasy. Why? Well, for me it was the type of anime, the one where I can realistically put myself in without realities in that world, if that makes any sense. It's like not going to that job you don't really like or worrying about school and homework, only about going to an important ball or party. Fighting dragons and saving people being the hero. Black Butler is very similar to that. Black Butler is about a boy who made contract with a demon and now that demon serves that boy as a butler in 19th century London. I love this show the most because of the story it's telling and some of the characters on the show. I absolutely adore. Beside the main characters keep secrets and hide things that you want to know and find out as much as the other characters do. When you find out what that secret is, it's totally mind-blowing. Hashtag I won't spoil this for you. Hashtag imagine that. Yes, imagination. Imagination can be overreactive sometimes, but it is a creative thing to have. When I can, I stop everything I'm doing and just wander off into my own little world, which isn't so little anymore. I try to put what I thought of into stories, and now I can say... I write those spin-off stories about the animes I jump into. with women is pretty life-changing. I never had a father figure. The closest thing to a father was my godfather. 
but it doesn't work much when he lives across the country. I am a 20-year-old man who grew up with female influences, and this is what I've learned so far. Well, let's start by saying I have two sisters and my mother, of course. My sisters would always pick up the pace and follow along, whether it was sports or video games. Also, I had to partake in female activities as well. It was fair, you know? Either playing housekeeping or Barbies, I tag along because, well, they're my sisters and it was fun. FYI, I still had my Ken doll. Sometimes they pretend they were the parents and I was like the uncle or relative. We would often clean the house, wash dishes, or do the laundry. I guess in a way, my mother taught us this. Well, mostly to my sisters because they were women, but not to me. I chose to do it because it was the right thing to do. I thought we should do the same. At that point, I started noticing the different roles. My mother pretty much intended that women should stay at home and take care of the family, while the men would go to work for the family. My mother would often make my sisters clean the house and be the woman of the house. She would teach them how to cook, clean, and do their hair. I would be left out since I am a guy. I was told to wait for the food or go outside while the house is being cleaned. I had my chores, mainly it was to clean my bed or put away my clothes. It was quite unfair, knowing that I wasn't able to cook much. Until one day, I decided just to follow along and see what they were doing. Hmm. I started helping out my sisters and my mother with food. I would mainly watch and get the ingredients for my mother. I'd help clean the house so me and my sisters could have more free time and play Sega Genesis. It was like a team. We would team up to finish quick and we would get to play more video games. In another scenario, it was pretty weird growing up. Going out with them, I was never told to be careful, but rather take care of my sisters. Mind you, I am the middle child. I had to protect my older and younger sibling. I had to be the man when we were out. It was cool knowing that my mother and sisters pretty much look up to me to be a man. I felt responsible for them, for their safety, but sometimes they defended me. At the end, we took care of each other, look after each other. I remember when I was little, I grew out my hair because I would see my sisters get pretty braised or their hair tied. I liked brushing my sister's hair. I was quite jealous that they can blossom with just their hairstyle for the day. So I grew out my hair. I would brush it and sometimes use hairspray. I never really knew what was it for, but I thought it was astonishing and awesome. It's not really what role do I play when I was growing up, but rather what I enjoy. I enjoyed helping out my sisters. I would go to the store and help out my sisters on what outfit they should buy. I enjoyed helping out my sisters. I would go to the store and help out my sisters on what outfit they should buy for a family gathering or picking their clothes to buy. I would often be asked which shirt is cute or which pair of pants is adorable. It was cool, you know? They would pretty much ask me what looked cute from a guy. I'm assuming they wanted to look beautiful and have great impressions from people on how womanly they are very educated. We would work things out like this. They'd ask me on what guys like and I would ask them what girls like. As mentioned before, I never really had a father so I'd often give them my opinion. They are beautiful, they really didn't have to do much, but they would go the extra mile just to look cute. Well, back to the situation, I would ask them what shirt looks nice, or outfit. A few things I picked up while growing up with my sisters is how women should be valued. Not much on how to become a man, but rather becoming a gentleman with women. I would often be reminded to be polite, stand straight, firm handshakes, and first great impressions. I picked it up after a few years, as I wanted to make my sisters and mother proud. I would still be my silly self and act boyish, but I did it for them. If I couldn't become a great man for my father, I'd rather become a gentleman for my siblings and mother. I wanted to make them proud. Growing up, I would ask them for womanly advice. One instance is how to approach a girl. There's something about women that they like a guy with not just looks, but how nice they are. It is a great experience to know what women look for a guy. 
My sister would like my cheat sheet in a way. Not to be rude, but it was like, hey, I know how to talk to girls, of course. I would still be shy or nervous. But unimaginable that I was able to understand both genders and discovering who I am going to become. Everything I did was to impress them. I didn't have a father to show him my soccer skills or how would you a ball in basketball. But I wanted to impress them on who I can be and what I can do as a man. I never had a father to show me how to become a man, but I have wonderful women in my life to show me how to become a gentleman. Yes, I've changed. I've changed into a person I was waiting to meet. I feel as if a new piece to my puzzle has been added. A puzzle that I've been trying to figure out. A puzzle that had a lecture. Each piece is so delicate and I'm afraid to add to it. Because I don't want to ruin the potential of finishing it. I'm a flower that has been waiting to blossom into a rose, but instead has blossomed into a garden. A garden full of blood-colored roses, a garden full of mesmerism. I am a person with ideas as far as the mind can think. I make castles of progress and bridges of healing and skyscrapers of dreaming. A person that has always been capable of the impossible, but never thought about fighting my own demons. With a single sword, but a sword that I have built with my mind, a sword that is as sharp as a thorn, that is as strong as a rock, but is as light as a feather. Handcrafted for me to fight those who have challenged me into thinking I am less than a person. My ideas wander into a single thought. My ideas create kingdoms as far as the eye can see. My fears have been vanquished in the very pits of their despair, locked in a dungeon of my victory. I am a person whose hair flows in the wind like feathers in the cool air. I am a pencil that has written her victories in New Times New Roman. I am a book filled with gravitating words, a book filled with pain and sorrow. A paperback that soon wants to be turned into a film, a novel that just wants to be read but is hard to understand. These two brown eyes make flowing rivers. The Niagara Falls my mind. Its waters consist of memories both happy and sad. My heart beats like a beast in a cage, banging and banging, wanting to escape. Because it just wants to be loved with its hatred and pain that it puts itself through. I took the rose you gave me, but chose to ignore the thorns. I was so mesmerized by your smile that I ignored the fangs in the back of your gums. I was so captivated by the palace you built me that I didn't notice the dragon Roman. I didn't notice the thorn brick walls. I didn't notice the locked doors and closed windows. All I noticed was your smile. The smile that made my feet feel like clumsy spoons. The smile that made my heart flutter like a thousand butterflies waiting to come out. That smile soon turned into a mere memory with your goodbye. You brought the storm over me, but I turned into a rainbow. When your waters have dried, I will remain a rainbow. Because I have changed. You are listening to 105.5 FM. WLPN.
Once upon a time, in the small town of the island of Grassland, there was a small village called Tree Trunk. Tree Trunk was the capital of Grassland, where grass and wooden people lived. But for years, the people of Grassland were controlled by the monarchist people of Bark. Young wooden people fled Barkland to the island of Grass, where they wanted to live freely for religious and political reasons. Therefore, the people of Bark let them go, but in the condition to pledge fealty to the king of Bark and to represent the new lands colonies of the king of Bark. As years progressed, the colonists of the grasslands grew tired of such rule, since they started having their farms and foods taken away from the King of Bark. The wooden and grass people grew angry and stole weapons from the, pe from the people of Bark and began fighting them off until they left their lands. Wooden and grass people won their independence. They established a new leader, new constitution, and the House of Laws, which was composed of two parties, the Liberal and Conservative Party. The House of Laws made laws and renewed laws that were against the Grassland Constitution. One of the top laws in the Grass Constitution was to bear arms for defensive purposes and in case of a tyrannical government, have land for all and be equal. As two centuries passed after the founding of the Grassland Nation, the country began seeing technological improvements. The Grassland people began building skyscrapers made out of tomatoes, improved their military and helped education become better. The bad thing was that several towns in the grassland country began suffering of heavy crime because of robberies going on, due to the country's lack of food. The government soon began farming more food and robberies shortened for a little. But the food robbers began carrying less and did robberies for the fun of it. So weapon was done for the purpose of self-defense. The L-15, Lifu Seal 15, a gun composed of leaves and shot rock pellets at a semi-automatic rate. Buyers of the L-15 also used the weapon to hunt for animals as well. The grass people began suffering of horrible mass shootings in these villages. They started blaming the L-15. The Liberal Party of Grass grew extremely angered about this and began blaming the rifle. They said that it was meant to kill people, not to hunt or defend. The Liberal Grass people began rioting and attacking owners of the L-15. They said that they would not stop until the weapons were taken off the hands of the people. What these people didn't know was that the link of the majority of the mass shootings in the villages was that the person firing the gun was mentally unstable. The Grey Party began attacking the Liberal Party telling them that guns were not the problem, the person was. He talked about guns and how they were used. Since the majority of the Congress was Liberal, they pressured the President to forcefully remove all weapons from civilian hands. The Great Party said that it was in the Constitution of Grassland to give freedom to the people to bear arms, and tried telling them to make sure that the gun owners needed to be mentally capable of owning a weapon. The Liberal Party refused. The President of Grassland made a final statement to take the weapons from the people and to go along all the country forcing people to turn in their weapons. A man by the name Dietrich decided to stand up to the government and when they came to his home to take to take his weapons away, he murdered the officials trying to take his freedom. He was later tried in court for the murder of two officials and sentenced to death. When the gun owners heard about this, they decided to revolt against the government and to self-govern without government rule. Hearing this, the president of Grassland was furious, calling them calling them complete traitors to the people of Grassland. He forced all mainstream media outlets to call these people traitors and gun-loving bigots. 
Those who didn't want to put his liberal ideals on guns would be called for treason. He even went to the point of blocking good things about guns, saving people on the media. One of these incidents was a man who defended a whole mall from a group of five robbers. He saved 50 lives that day using the that gun. Sadly, it was censored from the media. The rebels made a small town known as Independencia, a town that would only be run by the people and anyone has the right to bear any weapon, but still under regulation. The rebels began gaining support and then they grew big in numbers. The president of Grassland began sending troops and tanks to kill the so-called traitors. And then the real war broke out. The president of Grassland started making aviation attacks against the rebellious towns that were fighting against them. Many people were dying with these attacks until the final battle came in the town of Independencia. There, the battle took four to five hours. At the end, the government's military won the battle and told the remaining rebels to turn in their guns or they would be hanged. But half of them turned them in while the other half decided not to turn them in. At the end, the remaining people of Independencia were stripped of their rights and left to die with their new title of traitors by the government. Many of the rebels' families were raped or killed, while others tried fleeing back to their home of origin in Barkland. So now, you know the story. Oh, that what's up tastes so sweet! This is the thing that we do when we do it well. Oh, baby, my girl, my love. Camilla and Caesar are aboard the Titania, and at the distance, there's a landfill like an iceberg. What a nice cruise this is, Quan. I know, right, Rosa? What will be the likelihood that I'll sing? It's not like that will ever happen. Attention all passengers, please remain calm. I repeat, please remain calm. We do not have everything under control. I repeat, we do not have everything under control. The whole boat is going to sink. Holy guacamole, we just had a landfill. Stay here with you. Rosa, I love you. If only people didn't throw trash into the ocean.
Lumpin Radio. Lumpin Radio. <risa> Mamá, vino un paquete. Ah, ¿qué es eso? ¿Es para mí? Ma, ¿dónde andas? Estoy en la cocina viendo la novela. Ven para acá. Es para todos nosotros. It's called Chicano Echo. Is it on? It's always on. It only hears you with the command we chose, Alejandra. ¿Y qué hace? Alejandra, what do you do? Yo puedo poner unos corridos. Yo puedo corregir your Spanglish or Chicano vocab. When novelas are streaming and fit all your Chicano needs. Alejandra, play La Chona. La Chona. Puede igualar y la chona se mueve y la gente le grita. No es mejor que la chona para la quebradita y la chona se mueve al ritmo que le toquen. Ella baila de todo. Nunca pierde el A ver, I wanna try. Alejandra, ¿qué hora empieza mi my novela? A las 4. Ma, you don't need to yell. Tiene Fartio Technology, so puede oírte from all over the room. Alejandra is really neat. You can ask it lo que quieras and it tells you. Just the other day I asked. Alejandra, el timer para frizar el pollo. Do you mean congelar? ¿Qué me dijiste? No, ma, relax. She corrects your Chicano grammar. Quita esa cosa de aquí. Mom doesn't like Alejandra all that much. She does, however, like using it on my brother like yesterday. Alejandra, put a reminder for Cesar to clean the house. Putting a reminder for Cesar to clean the house. And también to throw out the trash. Putting a reminder for Cesar to throw out the trash. Alejandra, play my cleaning playlist. Playing your cleaning playlist now. I still see your shadows in my room. Can't take back the love that I gave you. It's to the point why I love and I hate you and I cannot change you. So With everything that Alejandra Echo. She's becoming a big part of the familia. To experience Alejandra Echo, go to your local Garra today. big piece of chewed up bubble gum, then yeah, she would be perfect for you. Oh, you think you're so right for her? You'll make her look like a big red hot air balloon. Excuse me, but obviously you have no taste in style. I'll make her look like a shiny diamond with all the rhinestones I got on me. More like a disco ball with all that shine. She'll look better with a more simpler design, like myself. Not as slim and rocks like you, but poofy from the bottom and simple on top. Oh yeah, well, Little Miss Simple looks like you got a rip in your poof. <gasps> well, don't get too cocky, because Little Miss Shine looks like you have a big rhinestone missing from your torso. Uh-uh, at least I look shinier than you, though. I'll be oh, way shinier than dress. you from the I distance. I hate you. You're no, so No, you ugly. just no mad because I look bomb. I look bomb on her. Dress. She's trying to look fleeky, then she'll wear me. Shh, she's coming. Oh, this one's really pretty. I can't believe she didn't choose me. I would look way better on her. Or that she didn't pick me. That dress is gonna make her look big around her. Aww, Aww she, she looks so pretty. pretty. I'm so 
sorry for all the things that I said about you. I'm sorry too. Look, whatever. If you or I get picked, just know that we'll find our perfect person. Ooh, she'll fit me perfect. Um, no, I don't think so. I'll fit her more perfect. Um, are you really gonna start this again? Yes, we're starting this again. No, but you just mad because I look no, better on her you're too. No, you ugly. You will never no, find a better person. No, I look better on no, her. No, no matter what, you're, you're just mad because so I'm good leaky. Look like a red uh -uh. pop air balloon. Shine bright like a diamond, boo boo. You, but they messed up. Looking like boo boo this the fool. Boo boo the fool. Uh uh. Can. You should I deserve on the catwalk. I'm gonna be on the catwalk. Being of two different cultures is always a struggle, but I can really feel the split of my two cultures when I travel to Mexico and come back. I can see how these differences affected my parents' lives and how they've affected me for as long as I've lived. In Tepecoacuilco, whenever I go there, we always get up early to help with all the chores that my grandma Lucia needs to be done for the day. We get up at 6, we help feed the various animals, we help sweep the house, we help wash the clothes, and we help do anything else that she needs done for the day. In America, we don't wake up until about 11 in the day to get our chores done. Maybe this is what makes the day seem so short when we're here in the US. Compared to the day in Mexico, it all seems so laid back after a hard morning when there's fewer worries and there's more time to do what we want to do. Since I was little, my dad has always gotten up really early to go to work. In his free time, He'll sometimes regale us with tales of his childhood and the everyday struggles that he went through. Mi nombre es Jaime Villanueva. Tengo 44 años. Nací en noviembre, noviembre 3 de 1974. Soy de Guerrero, México. Mi pueblo se llama Tepecopuilco, Guerrero. My dad came here to try and earn a better life. He wants to try and find better work than the one that he would have found back in Mexico. Para la escuela, mi, mis papás me... me me sostenían para ir a la escuela, después para, para salir adelante me dediqué al, al criadero de gallos de pelea y, y vendía. Especially emphasize his younger days when they weren't as well off. My grandparents struggled to provide much for him, my six aunts, and my uncles. He would get up really early, he would help my grandpa, he'd then leave for school and go look for some small job to earn some money for himself. Cuando tú te vienes aquí a los Estados Unidos, pues te la pasas. Si tú quieres salir adelante, tienes que trabajar. Y allá en México, pues tienes uno a tus papás y allá lo que hacía nomás era ir a la escuela y llegar, jugar con mis amigos. Sí trabajaba más cuidando mis, mi criadero pero es lo que yo extrañaba. Pero aquí en los Estados Unidos, si no, si no trabajas, no comías. My family tries to take these values and they try to apply them now here in America. It doesn't always work though. Times have changed so much from how they used to be and it's really different from what my family experienced back in Mexico. En parte mi, mis papás no se negaban de que me viniera a los Estados Unidos porque decían ellos que era muy peligroso al venir para los Estados Unidos de ilegal. Ellos me, me decían que me que siguiera estudiando. Yo estaba estudiando para uh, ingeniería en electromecánica en México. These traditional values that had been so deeply ingrained into them growing up, of working hard, earning their money in an honest way, providing for their family, and always having these gender-specific boundaries, can't always be used here in current America because of the geographical location and the values have changed from what they had been decades ago. Y todo por ver a, a gente que iba de aquí, 
llevaba, que llevaba cosas, pues uno se ilusiona de, no, pues yo quiero tener lo mismo que ellos llevan, se ilusiona uno en, en el sueño americano, y pues uno se quiere venir para los Estados Unidos. Even then, my family, particularly my dad and my grandparents, can't always seem to move away from what they've learned. They always try to apply some of these values to me, but it doesn't always seem to work because so much has changed from what they knew growing up. Yo en verdad pues yo no sabía cocinar, no sabía ni lavar un plato, porque pues, uno cuando está en México todo lo, lo hace la mamá, todas la mam las cosas pues que la mamá hace todo. Y aquí te vienes a los Estados Unidos y pues ni modo, aquí uno viene a trabajar, a, a salir adelante. Still, having my parents teach me these values that they learned as they were growing up has definitely changed me and the way that I see things around me. Welcome back to our BBB Studios channel. This is Giovanni, a.k.a. Gigi. And Diego, also known as Didi. And you're listening to WLPN, LP Chicago, 105.5 FN, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolo Cali, and Little Village. In today's video, we'll talk about what makes a BBB. If you're new to our channel, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and keep the edges laid and the bills paid, hun. But for the new BBBs who have been living under a rock... It stands for a beat, batty B. So let's ask these uncultured swines, better known as the locals, what they think a BBB stands for. Okay. My name is Camila Reese. Girl, I'm good. I'm doing good. We living, we living and breathing. Um, I think it stands for for big booty. My name is Melissa. All right, Melissa. Bad only. Oh, so they're still Owen BBB. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, sir. We'll find out later. <laughs> so, brother and DBB through Bs. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, make a guess. Yes. Um. You can say whatever you think it means. No, because like I'm usually not around like like the what's called the short things. <laughs> yeah, like, like that yeah. type of stuff when they like do those things with letters, so I don't know. Well, it's okay. <laughs> you will find out later on in our show. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Have a nice day. Yeah. You too. Thank you. Ooh, so would you look at the time? Gigi and Didi got a bounce. But what did we take from this video? That you're a BBB yourself, unlike these uncultured swine. So we better see you in the next video. Period. Nothing left to say, like, period. Yeah. Period. 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 You're listening to... Lumpin' Radio. Good job! Woodlawn is a neighborhood on the south side of Chicago covering the 60s between Lake Michigan and Martin Luther King Drive. I don't know much about Woodlawn, except that my uncle Jose just moved there. Hi, I'm Jose Luis Beltran. My age is 37, 
and I just came out from a nursing home. I got shot. That's why, you know, I can't move my legs or my hands. But the thing is that I was in a nursing home for two years, six months, and a couple of days. Like many institutional facilities, this nursing home had many restrictions upon the residents. Some restrictions are necessary, but others made residents like my uncle feel trapped. Let alone, the facility had too many patients and not enough staff to properly care for the residents. I mean, I don't know, these people from the nursing home, they think the worst of a patient. Instead of comprehending them, they just, just think the worst. It's like if you were a child, like you weren't, you weren't able to speak up. For, for me, to be honest, that made me feel like worthless. Wordless and like, I know this ain't the end of me. I knew he would be able to continue moving forward with his life despite of his disability, but I wonder when it would happen. A social worker referred my uncle to a case manager in the Colbert Consent Decree Project. Hi, I'm Diana Molina. I'm Jose Beltran's fiance. When they started going into the program, they put him on the list of a program, which is this Colbert program, and then the lady came out. She spoke with both of us. She said, we're gonna help you out as much. You know, we can. This project is the product of the Colbert versus Rauner lawsuit, which according to the state of Illinois Department on Aging, alleged that individuals are being unnecessarily segregated and institutionalized in nursing facilities in Cook County that are in violation of the ADA and Rehabilitation Act. Through the Colbert Consent Decree, the state has agreed to provide the necessary supports and services to enable class members to live in the most integrated community settings appropriate to their needs. Hmm, unnecessarily segregated and institutionalized? Sounds familiar, Chicago? Anyway, my uncle went through the procedure and evaluation required by the program in order to obtain an apartment. Thanks to this, he now lives in an apartment that fits his needs and other resources that the Colbert Consent Decree Project provides. They, they check a lot of things. You know, it's not easy. But at the same time, it's not difficult. Now that I'm adapting to my apartment, I can eat what I want. I could ask for water without even having nurses or CNAs being like, uh, give me a second. You know what I mean? It's like, I love it. It would have been way more better if it would have been around the community that I grew up with or in than, you know, where I'm at. But I, I love it. But we, we're doing pretty good. You know, now he can, when he's hungry, he'll eat. When he's tired, he'll get put to bed, you know. I hope many people who live in Cook County and are in similar situations as my uncle can benefit from this project and resume with their lives. And for everyone listening, please be aware of people with disabilities as it is not the only factor they struggle with in today's society. No audio piece does justice to what my uncle has dealt with these past three years after his incident. But moving to an apartment in Woodlawn is definitely the start of a new beginning for him. Although he is new to the neighborhood, he enjoys being able to explore Jackson Park along other outside spaces. 
You know what I mean? I got the lake right there, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just pretty much like pretty quiet, but it's pretty cool at the same time because nobody disrespects nobody. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. My name is Roy Kinsey, I'm 33. I grew up near Austin, um, Belmont Cragen, also like Division of Pulaski, North Avenue of Pulaski. Um, so west side of Chicago, basically. My neighborhoods w went from um, low income to middle class, from apartments to, you know, a house, our first house. Um, and then in a neighborhood that is mainly Polish, Italian, uh, once I got, you know, a little bit older. Nervous, excited, or both to talk about my family situation. Uh, I've been talking about my family for a while. Um, when it comes to these albums, these records. Uh, so I, I love talking about my family because I love my family and I love where I came from and the older that I get. I realized that uh, it's a blessing to have come from there and from them. So um, I'm excited about that. I am in a session right now. My parents are queer. I was raised by two lesbian women from the time that I was about six or seven years old. Up until now, my parents are still together. Uh, they met when I had to go, when I had to start going to a after school program. After my grandmother was paralyzed, she fell out of a window and I couldn't stay at home with her anymore. She couldn't come and pick me up from school anymore. So my mom put me into an after school program and that's where they met. Uh, my life growing up with my parents was really, really great because both of them were there and they supported each other. They loved each other. They love each other. I used to and still do love watching them dance together. They can step really well, um, you know, which is a deep Chicago tradition. But to watch these two women uh, add their own style in it and have such a rhythm together, um, I think that that's really beautiful to see. And so I was always fascinated by watching them dance together. As a child, uh, I, I don't know if I really felt like my family was different from everyone else's because so many of our family friends, um, you know, my family's friends were also lesbian. My parents' fa uh, friends were lesbian and had kids. So we were around um, other kids that were kind of like us and we traveled and performed and just went around, you know. Um, we just had a really good social circle. And then we were supported by our family. So we also had our family around and they just got along great. So it was very positive, it was very rich, it was very uh, influential, it was very musical and entertaining. Um, we had a lot of parties, a lot of celebrations, just a lot of love around us. For a long time, I, 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 my family, <laughs> the funniest story, the funniest thing is that my family, they lived together for years before they came out and told us that they were lesbian. And 
I don't know what I was thinking the entire time. I think I thought that they were just roommates or really best friends or really good friends. Because it really was, it wasn't like they showed that they were publicly showing affection to one another like that. And then looking back, I'm like, how did you not know? But because they slept in the, you know, they did sleep in the same bed, but I don't know. It's, it just wasn't something that was registering for me as a young child. It was, when I got older, then I, re, then I understood. I remember a time in seventh grade when I was on my Washington DC trip and I had called home and talked to my brother and my brother said something about uh, that somebody from school has said something about us having lesbian parents, but it never really went like deep. Like somebody said something that was super judgmental. A lot of times it was in inquiring, but I don't really remember anything that was like super vicious. I mean, we didn't really experience a lot of that. So if people were talking, they probably were talking behind my back, I guess. Uh, a lot of people really didn't have anything to say, but I think that people probably were just more curious than anything. And um, even when I was be beginning to show my sexuality in different ways, then that's when I kind of uh, noticed because I got into a, you know, a, a disagreement when I was in high school about somebody that was asking around if I was gay. And I remember confronting that person and being like, well, if you want to know, then you need to ask me and not ask that other person. And though I was right, I realized that I was super defensive because it felt like I was possibly being outed. But it also helped me to evade the question. Um, and so, you know, if you're out or whatever, it'd be like, yeah, somebody asked if you're gay, you'd be like, yeah, I'm gay, what? Uh, when people would question my parents' relationship, uh, I would say that, that's, that that was my godmom for a really, really long time. I would say that Deborah was my godmother. Um, and then it, people didn't really pry too much, but I think I began to tell the story more and more as I got older. So as I got older, I started to be like, well, this is what's going on, this is what's happening. You know, and my family is blended. Like I'm from my mom, but they're from, you know, they're from her, but we're all one big family type of thing. What did you learn about same-sex couples making a family through your parents? I learned about chosen family. I loved I loved being uh I learned about surrounding yourself with the people that you love that you want to be around and that the bonds that you create you know that you can really create your family uh and it and it could be empowering it could be uh reflective of what you believe what your values are yeah i learned that through my parents relationships and how dependable they are on one another family for me is being able to depend on someone a responsibility um honoring past and present and future, making plans together, um, making good decisions on behalf of one another, um, protecting, uh, serving, quality time. I'd like to thank my parents for stability. I'd like to thank my parents for always showing up for me and no matter what I was doing, when I was finding myself, they were always supportive and they wanted to support me and they wanted to show up and wanted to come to games after school or wanted to come and still come and actually even perform in my shows with me. Uh, I love that I learned about what true family was in this uh, non-traditional 
family. That was the reflection of family that I had is that, you know, the people that I grew up with, like my brother and sister, who are my brother and sister, are not from the same parents, right? We don't have a, a blood biological relation, but we have a bond um, that way. So I would love to thank my, my parents for family and, and being able to depend on them. A lesson that I've learned from my parents that I live by, uh, something that I try to think uh, about is something that we say is like, your mama didn't teach you like that. Your mama didn't raise you like that. So um, really just always having a home training that precedes me that, you know, when I step into a room or when I talk to somebody, I am a reflection of where I came from. I'm a reflection of who raised me. And so uh, I really try to think about that and really try to serve my family well and be a really good example of my family. are listening to WLPN LP, Chicago 105.5 Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y Yolokali in Little Village. And today we have Mount Lovemore, and they're going to introduce themselves and what instruments they play. Here you are. Hello, my name is Nas. I play the drums. What's up? I'm Gigi. I play the vocals. My name is August. I play the guitar. I'm Daniel. I play the guitar and the bass. We're going to interview them for a bit, and the first question will be, um, why did you choose the name uh, Mount Lovemore? Um, we, we didn't have a purpose behind it, actually. We were looking for a name, and um, I just kind of was like, let's use that, and then everybody agreed upon it. And that was it. Like Mount Rushmore, but Mount Lovemore, because it's cool. So how long have you guys been a band? We've been a band for about four months. Uh, the three of us over here, we've been practicing for about maybe a year, year and a half, but we needed a drummer really bad. And then, yeah, Nas came along, and now we're, f like, fully formed formation. So we've been fully formed, I guess, for about three months, four months. Nice. So you guys got experience on you. And then I know that you said something about, like, you knew, like, the basics of the drums, correct? Somewhat. Okay. And it's like, what, did you always want to do music, like, for fun or for pursuing, or both? Uh, uh, personally, I've always wanted to do music, I don't know, since a kid, so I'm very grateful for this opportunity to be with everyone here, and, um, yeah. So it is fun, but we also, like, want to pursue this, like, for real, like, we're about to change the game. Oh, dang. Since y'all want to pursue it, what would be your dream venue to perform in? Ooh, my dream venue to perform at? Ooh. Like, maybe some Coachella stuff. You know, Madison Square Garden. Ooh. Classic Chicago venue. Antarctica. <laughs> Space. Whoa! Sydney. Whoa! Yeah, that's what we all want to perform. Y'all thinking outside the box of Chicago like that. Is there, okay, for some of the songs that you're going to perform for us, is there any deeper meaning behind them? 
Um, yeah, so I write all the lyrics and stuff. So all my songs, or a lot of them, sometimes I just write about walking home. Sometimes I just write about, I don't know, stuff that happens. But a lot of my songs are about love. And love is cool, but sometimes love is hard, too. So, you know, love, love, love. But love is always important. So love more, Mal, love more, gang. <laughs> Ding, love that. So, like, what you're trying to say with your music other than love, but, like, the message you're trying to get across? Um, I feel like our band just wants to bring about, like, an air of, like, color, feeling, and, like, positivity out there. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put positivity into everything with our music. I like that message. I really like that. So other than all the seriousness, like, if you were a food, what would you be, and would you want to be eaten? If I was a food, I would be some, like, classic baked mac and cheese. And yes, I would want to be eaten by everyone on Thanksgiving. It'd be the favorite dish. Um, I don't know, cereal. <laughs> and I would want to be eaten because breakfast is important. Yeah. With or without milk. Oh. Without. Oh. Uh, I don't know, like the probably a grilled cheese or something. You know, nice and simple. I'll probably be hot wings, because I like hot wings. But in all seriousness, would you want to be eaten? Oh. Uh, I don't think they would have what it takes to eat me, because I'd be hot. So, I don't know. <laughs> That's some spicy stuff right there. What about you, grilled cheese? Grilled cheese are meant to be eaten. Hi, thank you for being with us today. We're my love more. I'm Gigi. We got Nas here back on the drums, Augie on the guitar, and Danny on the other guitar. Shouts out to my mom. Shouts out to uh, everybody else's mom in the band. And shouts out to YOLO for having us today. And shouts out to you for tuning in. Ooh. I would say more, but I am confused when we start playing. This song is called Deoxy. That's what they call us. The outskirts of society. The authors of crime. Take a look at us. 
Is it because of my dark skin that you think I'm gonna shoot you? Is it because of the borders I cross that you think I'm not a part of and that I do not belong in this nation? Is it my sexual orientation that makes me a sinner? Is it because I'm just a woman that you think I'm inferior, that I don't have what it takes? Is it because I'm just another adolescent that makes you think that I don't have control over my decisions, that I don't have a voice? Yet here we are, speaking to you, letting you know loud and clear that we are not a group of kids with guns. No walls can stop us. No laws will silence us. No white privileges are needed here to succeed. We will not let our dreams be diminished. Yes, we are surrounded by violence, injustice, poverty. However, that's just it. Those things are the things that give us a reason to speak up. That move us and inspire us to own the battleground we stand on. Once that microphone's in front of us, we become the definition of dominance. Every word we write, every word we say, is powered with creativity, strength, invincibility, and rage. No stereotypes. No gender roles. No 45th president will break us. We are dangerous. We are unafraid. We're the misfits. The weirdos. The Fruit Loops and the Cheerio Box. But hey, it's our differences that define us. Not that sickening and weakening word. Minorities. Minorities. Through thick and thin, we're proud to be who we are. We are Yolo Valley! We've been keeping it weird and real since 1997. Did you include the fact that we love pizza? Wait, what? We recording? <laughs> <laughs>